the beginning of this year, I wanted to spend some time, like, if you're new with us, we're, we, we like to just walk through books of the Bible. We think it's a, a really good, right way of, of understanding what the Lord is trying to say to us in, in the book. And from time to time, we'll take a step back and we'll look at more concepts that the Bible teaches about. And uh, this beginning of this year, I've, I've, I've just wanted to help us to understand a few basic things as we go into this year uh, that we could just have in the back of our mind as we're walking and growing and, and striving uh, to mature in our walk before the Lord. Uh, a few foundational things, so uh, some of these things are not new to us, but then they become new again because we're quick to forget. Uh, I mean, these songs we are singing uh, that uh, Dom quoted from, man, I, I, my soul needs that. Uh, it, it's refreshing to sing again that I was in a pit and the Lord brought me out that he has never failed, uh, that it is, I am, it's the blessed assurance that, it, that he's mine and I am his, and uh, the Lord is actively working. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ, which really is just that all I need is Christ. All I have is Christ, all I need is Christ, and that is good. So no matter what happens to me, whatever's going on in life, whatever struggles, difficulties, success, failures I have, I have Jesus and that is enough. And we need that reminder. So the beginning of this year, we, we looked at the foundation of our uh, salvation is in the love of God. That God loves us. We looked at Psalm 19. We saw how that psalm lists out these, these benefits of the word of God. And we can look at that in one way as if this is something I just have to do, 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 do to try to keep upkeep these things these things so that I can be righteous, and that would be a bad way to read that psalm. The better way to read that psalm is that the Lord provides the things that I need because I am in need of refreshment. I am in need of enlightenment. I am in need of rescue and peace. I am in need of my eyes being opened so that I can see what is the right way to live in life that's beneficial for me. And God provides that in his word. He provides that because he loves us, because he's merciful and gracious, and he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that he's rich in mercy. And last week, we spent some time looking at what is, I titled, the engine of our maturity. What, what drives our maturity as believers? Right? One of our mission statements is uh, helping people to grow to maturity in what they believe and how they live. Uh, well, what, why do we want to do that? Well, because that's the goal of of God for new for believers is that we wouldn't remain infants but that we would grow that we would mature and that we would carry his message to his other children who are in need and into the world that desperately needs him and so that that engine is our love for Jesus and we looked at John 14, we looked at, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we looked at not as a uh, Jesus trying to manipulate his followers into uh, doing, loving him and doing the things that he says, but rather Jesus speaking to something that is intrinsic in, hum in humanity, that we strive after, we go after, we make decisions based on what we love. And what we love drives our actions, our interactions, our choices. And if we love Jesus, if we begin to put him as the most beautiful object 
in, in all of creation everywhere. The thing that I desire, the person I desire most above everything, then things that are contrary to him, things that are destructive to, to who he is and what, what he wants to do in the world, I, I begin to not want to go after anymore. And I begin to just go after what he wants. It's, it's my love, it's a, a choice. Now just to clarify something, God is the one who initiates salvation, right? He's the one who has set up this plan of salvation. In fact, he says that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the earth, right? The choice was made that Christ would come and die for us, for our sins, before the foundation of the world. And God, God calls people to himself. He, he, he calls them to himself. He works out salvation. He gives us, he brings us. He, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. What can dead people do? I mean, I've been to way too many funerals this year. Not a single one of them has, has the dead person got up and done anything. Speak to them, nothing happens. Dead people can't do anything. But God speaks into a dead life and brings them into life. And for all of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who've accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, in a very real sense, we have gone from death and into life. And now we're living in a body that's decaying, but we have the promise and the hope, the blessed assurance of life forever with God. So that we can say, along with Paul, death, where is your sting? Where's your victory, death? Though we die, we will not fully die. We will live. So God starts that. He calls that. He chooses us and to himself. But that does not mean we don't have responsibility to choose him. And God lives it, leaves it up to us to make the choice of faith and dependence in our walk and maturity with him. God has not called robotic people to follow him. God has not called people and said, you know what, I'm going to save you, I'm going to make you perfect, and you're not going to need me. That's not what he does. He invites us into relationship and he gives us choice in our day-to-day -day interactions, actions, to choose to depend on him or choose to depend on ourselves. To choose to walk with the Spirit or choose to, to run after the flesh. And those choices that we have are there and they reveal where our love is, how mature we are, and where we're growing in life. Now, I've said this a lot of times in the last year, we are not a perfect church. And I've explained why I say that. I say that because it's helpful for us to remember that we are not expected to be perfect. We are not expected to have it all together. We're actually expected to be imperfect and to struggle with one another and help one another along 
as we grow into maturity before the Lord. So if our foundation of our salvation is the love of God and the engine of, that, of maturity in that is our love for Jesus, how is our maturity seen? Well, our maturity, the application of our maturity and the revelation of our maturity is found in community. So like last week, I'm laying all my cards out. I've got one extra point from last week. I'm picking up points from last week, putting them in, and then I've got one extra one, and that's this. That the application and revelation of our, our, our maturity is found in community. So I think I already passed through a couple points on my PowerPoint slide here. Um, but Jesus, being the engine of our maturity in our, in our upper room discourse that we looked at in John uh, 14, 13 through 17, he, he speaks to them and he gives them a new commandment, John 13. So if you have your Bibles open, John 13, 34, I'll read it to you. I'm, I'm going to be going through a few different passages today, and I will apologize. They are not up there, so you're going to have to actually open your Bible. But he says in 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And last week we looked at, you know, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and make myself manifest to him. Or 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? All of these things are speaking to what Jesus wants for his people. Like the, the, the ap engine of our maturity, our love for him, you will keep my commandment. What is my commandment? That you love one another as I've loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Well, he gave up his life for us. He came to a place where people were going to reject him and did reject him. He chose um, uneducated Unexperienced, young fishermen, tax collectors, the unlikely folks to follow him. And he taught them knowing they weren't going to understand what he was talking about. Knowing that they were going to desert him. Knowing that in his time of need, they were not going to be there. But he washed their feet, he instructed them, he loved them, and did everything for them because he loves them, he loves the Father, and he wanted them to experience the love of the Father to them. So when he comes, he says, my command is this, that you love one another as I've loved you. He says it in chapter, chapter 13, he repeats it again in chapter 15. And then in chapter 
17, he starts praying to God for his people. And I'm going to start here in verse 13. I'm, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, may, they, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Right? He's praying for the disciples. He's praying for us. We are in that category. That they may all be what? One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Christ's commandment and desire for his people is that they would be one as we are, as he and the Father are one. His commandment for his people is that they would love each other as he has loved them. Now, I'm going to point out the obvious here. What is necessary for that to happen? There has to be people living together knowing each other. There has to be objects of love. There has to be community in order for that to happen. Christ did not call believers to accept a truth, to accept a, a statement and a didactic teaching of something and then go live off on them, by themselves. Christ's command is necessarily needs other people in order for it to be worked out. Now, this is not some major aha revelation. It should be very understood. But the application of maturity is found in community. We cannot be mature unless we are exercising our faith within the context of people who make it difficult to exercise our faith. Love one another as I have loved you. What does that mean? Well, love them when they're easy, when they're nice to you. No. Love them when the person who's going to betray you to death is literally lounging in your on your breast on the ground eating a meal with you, dipping your food in the same stuff. Sitting in the seat of honor, Judas. Love them when they know you know that they are going to misunderstand you, that they are going to reject you, that they are going to leave you. This is his desire. That imperfect people who are called by Jesus, rescued and redeemed by Jesus, 
given immense, an immense gift that is, 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 is too much to explain. His life in us, fullness, forgi- full of, fullness of forgiveness for us in him. And showcase that to someone else who doesn't deserve it in the same way that I don't deserve it. Right? Paul, uh, or, or John rather, in his letter, not just his gospel, but in his letter, says something similar along the same lines. And this is found in verse John 4, 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God has seen through, which the, through, through the interactions we have with other people and how we respond and love them. Paul, um, go flip, turn your Bibles over to, uh, to Colossians 3. We could read through all of the letters in the New Testament and point out the reality of this. I want to do a couple of big passages. Um, and I think most of us probably get this, but just I want to really deeply illustrate the necessity of us being around other people being known and knowing other people. Colossians is this beautiful book, one of the, one of the most beautiful statements on Jesus in chapter one. But in chapter two, verse six, he says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, establishing the faith just as you were taught. And then he starts talking about um, what Jesus did for us, how he rescued us, and how we don't need to follow after the religious practices that that are out there to to try to earn God's favor. But instead, in chapter 3, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, look what he puts in context with that verse, which we usually just read and memorize in itself. Right next to that, he goes, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no, not Greek, nor Jew, circumcised, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another as the Lord, uh, and, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That whole section and statement is coming out of Paul's request and command to put your eyes on things that are above. Put to death what is earthly, sexual immorality, lust, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Right? All of these things involve other people. Yes, they are starting in my own heart, but it's found in the community. Instead, put on compassionate hearts, kindness. How do I show kindness? Well, the world's saying, well, be kind to yourself. Well, yeah, we need to be kind to ourselves. But kindness is exercised when someone else is around me and is not being kind. And instead of giving them what they deserve, I respond in kindness, gentleness. I don't give them what they deserve. When someone offends me and someone does something and wounds me and does something egregious against me, I can hold on to bitterness, which is my natural response. I don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. I don't need this. I'm better than this. Or I can make a choice, which forgiveness is a choice. Maybe I will preach another sermon on this at one point, but forgiveness is not a process. It is a choice to apply the blood of Jesus for the sin that someone did against me to it. To accept his payment in full for the offense against me. Now, my emotions may take some time to catch up, but my decision to forgive is a decision. And I choose in this moment to forgive this person for the egregious thing that they did against me. Why? Because Christ has forgiven everything for me. Amen. And I know that I am a, I have no claim before him other than what he's, the gift that he's given me. I don't deserve it. I've done way worse things to him. But he forgave me anyways. And he wants people to experience his forgiveness. And so if I can be a part of that, I want to extend that to someone else. Now, all of these things, again, are happening within community. They're happening within people living together, knowing one another, having the opportunity to be offended to be taken advantage of. To have someone be short with you or you be short with someone else. Which both will probably happen at the same time. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians, one of the most richly dense theological letters. Paul's written outside of Romans, maybe. Spends the first part of this, this book explaining our position in Christ. And I mentioned before we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive through Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, not of work of your own. You're created in him for good works. We'd walk before them. And in the end of chapter 2, he begins to talk about this mystery or, or this, this thing that God did in breaking down a dividing wall of hostility between two people groups, which is the Jewish people and everybody else. And in so doing, he made one new man in himself. One body. And that was the mystery. God was going to reckon, redeem and reconcile all creation through Jesus, and he was going to bring them together. And the brokenness that's in the world is going to be made together in Jesus. And then Paul prays this prayer that we often pray or we use as a benediction all the time. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, according to the riches of his glory, may he, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then chapter 4 starts, I therefore, because of this prayer, Understanding the, the, the love of Christ, being, un, being rooted and grounded in it, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. With what? All humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God, Christ's gifts. Put on these things. If you want to truly see what the, and ha, understand, if you, if you truly see and understand the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of Christ's love for you, these things will begin to be seen in you. And again, none of them can be done in isolation. So Paul continues that, uh, talks about how he's given pro these different offices and people for the building up of the body. <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain unity 
of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to what? Mature manhood or womanhood. Um, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is Paul referencing? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. My purpose is that my body, my local expression of who I am in this world is not seen in super Christians. But it's seen in a group of imperfect people who are bearing with one another through their faults and their failures and making a choice to accept and to love the other person despite their faults and failures. Because it's my opportunity to do what my master is calling me to do. Now, this shouldn't, again, be anything new to us. But I love how what Harold Honer, a uh, former professor, Dallas Seminary, wrote about this in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, spiritual maturity is never achieved in isolation. Yet isn't that what our entire society is causing us and calling us to do? Most everything that we interact with is catering to the desire of our, the, the displaced, disordered desire of our hearts to be isolated. I mean, even social media, I don't need to beat that horse, it, it, it's not very social. It's actually pretty destructive. And I could spend an entire day scrolling, 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 and never interact with a human being. I could post stuff on there that I have no consequence for, unless I'm famous. Then someone else will make me pay financially for it. But we isolate ourselves most often out of inconvenience, fear, or shame. And God's people are called not to do that. They're called to step into the uncomfortableness of dealing with someone who's less than easy to deal with. They're called to step into a place where they can experience not what they expect to experience, rejection, but actually experience compassion for my failure and my fault. They're called to step into a place not out of fear of rejection, 
not out of fear of what my reputation will be, but because if I don't get into community and have someone know who I am and what is driving my desires and what my pitfalls are and what my sin struggles are, I will never be able to overcome them. Because I will stay stuck in the same system and pattern that I've done the whole, my whole life trying to hide the brokenness inside. That's why Paul says, you know, if, if anyone's caught in a trespass, Galatians 6, he who is spiritual, go and restore him. There are things in our life that we cannot get ourselves out of unless someone else is there praying for us, uplifting us, showing us what we need the most when we deserve it the least. So we need community. And it comes in two separate ways. Wait, we need community because we need to experience God's love in a place and people that we can't experience it on our own. And we need community because we need to give God's love to a people who can't experience on their own. So either way, there's an opportunity for me to experience God's love through people when I'm known, when I know someone else. There are many churches who try to do this in many different ways, right? Community groups, life groups, growth groups, this event, that event, this initiative, that initiative. All those things have merit and are great. Some of them are fail, some of them work. But what causes them to actually work is the people who are driven to them, looking for an opportunity to showcase and experience God's love. And no program that a church can put on can replace that. It's a decision we each have to make in our daily interactions. The tragedy, though, is that many churches miss out on that. Because we set ourselves up to be a place of judgment, a place where it's not free to fail, a place where we're expecting more out of other people than we are expecting of ourselves. So do I have a solution for you today? I don't. I know we do this very well in, in, in pockets and places. Our church is very loving and generous and grace-filled. Grace Not all the time, but no church is going to be all the time. But 
we cannot control someone's decision to embrace that community or not. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a tragedy when someone goes through a difficult thing in life and they do not believe that they can go to their church to find the healing and the hope and the place of rest that they need. Because the struggle or the sin is unmentionable, damaging, or whatever it is. What a tragedy. In, in, in the community of God, where we're called to experience the love of God, to showcase what God's kingdom is like, that we're not showcasing the love that God gives through his son to us. And oftentimes that's because we're forgetting the opportunities that we have when we're rubbed the wrong way by someone else. We're forgetting the opportunities that we have when my flesh is saying, run, hide, don't share, don't say anything, don't confront, don't do that, it's not worth it, you're just gonna get hurt again, all this stuff. We just fade away. God desires more for us. God desires us to be that place where the repentance is championed, not the failure. Where forgiveness freely flows to those who need it. Where there's an actual family and a willingness to stay and be a family, even when my brothers and sisters annoy the snot out of me. So the question I want to leave with you today is this. Do I embrace community or do I avoid it? Now, I do want to caveat this because some people will take this and be like, oh man, I need to get into this other group, I need to get into this other group. You, You don't need to busy your whole entire life with things. God knows you are a human being. You don't have to be involved in everything that the church is doing. You don't have to be in six different growth groups and serve in the children's ministry in order to be accepted by God. But you do need a few people who know you. This room right now at this time is not the appropriate time to share all your life struggles. But you do need a few people who know you, who are praying for you, who know what's going on in your life. And there are people here who are willing to be that for you. It's just going to take some work and some choice. Am I going to reach out or not? Am I going to run into what the Lord has for me so that I can grow up into maturity of mature manhood in Christ? No longer tossed to and fro as a child, but able to stand and to see clearly, to apply 
what I know and love about Jesus to someone else or avoid it. Nobody can manipulate you into doing that. It doesn't work that way. It's your choice. Let's choose him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your faithfulness, not ours. We thank you for the opportunity every single day we have to find peace and joy in you and to grow. Lord, we thank you that you do not expect us to get it right all the time, but what you do expect is that we would depend on you, trust you, seek you, and not ourselves. Lord, we need you every moment, every hour. You know us. You know our inward parts. You knew us when we were formed in our mother's wombs. You know every day that is marked before us. You know what we need before we ask. So Lord, we, we need you to speak. We need you to guide. We need you to lead. We desire to be a reflection of who you are. The peace, the joy, the laughter, the patience, the kindness and humility that you desire in your people. Make us into it, Lord, in Jesus' name.